Hi, I'm Patricia Grabarek. And I'm Katina Sawyer, and welcome to the Worker Being Podcast. Today we have with us Karen Liebner. Uh, she is the founder of Finding Your Mantra, and she's also an English language lecturer at University of Pennsylvania, and she's also a PhD uh, in education. So she's awesome and wonderful, and we also went to high school together and we were friends. So I'm so excited <laughs> to have her on the show. Hi, Karen. How are you doing? Hey, ladies. I'm glad we uh, finally made this happen. It's been a Me long time coming. Me too. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, so... We're wondering if you could just start off by describing a little bit about your background kind of as an employee and maybe a little about your family life so we can understand a little bit more about uh, what made you found Finding Your Mantra. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first, I want to clear the air a little bit. I'm actually an EDD, not a PhD. Oh, and sorry. I don't want to upset any PhDs out there. Because it's not <laughs> We're not upset. Um, We're fine. No. <laughs> <Goodness>. Very angry. <laughs> hey, you'd be surprised. I don't know if you've been in the middle of those conversations, but uh, you have to be very clear. Um, so yeah, I have an EDD. Um, but personally, I am married to Fred. We've been married for three years. We have an almost two-year-old son, and our second baby is due very, not very soon, not as soon as I wish, but in a few months. <laughs> um, and Fred is an extremely supportive partner, um, personally and professionally, and a lot of my achievements and success are a testament to having the partner that I do, and that's really important Uh for my work life and uh, and for finding your mom trust. So I have to give him his uh, his due <laughs> praise. Um, so I've been in education for 11 years. This actually all started in kindergarten when I came home and declared that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I went, <laughs> um, I went the traditional route. I kind of assumed I'd be a classroom teacher and I did enjoy it when I got there, but I kind of quickly knew that I didn't want to be tied to the same elementary school until retirement, like a lot of people who came before us did. I think we all had those elementary teachers who had been teaching second grade, like to our parents and to us and to all our siblings. And <laughs> yes, just, they're like immortal. <laughs> yeah. I just didn't really see that as my life when I started, once I got started. Um, and I kind of always had in the back of my head that I wanted to be an entrepreneur of some of some sort and have that kind of freedom. So I often thought, you know, so many inventions come out from teachers and moms and I'm going to, lightning's going to strike and I'm going to come up with one of these ideas. And, you know, I sat around waiting for that to happen. And I ended up getting a master's degree in teaching English as a second language, which is what I still do. And then I got a doctoral degree in higher education. I was initially thinking that I'd use that to support um, soon-to-be teachers and practicing teachers, which is something I do still do. Um, so I adjunct at several different places where I teach, um, like I said, education majors, either getting their master's or their undergrad degrees. And then I teach English as a second language to international students on a pretty regular basis. But it wasn't until I became a parent that kind of this whole path and my experiences and my education all kind of culminated in my head and made me realize that I could continue to teach, but in a way that I had never conceived before um, because I couldn't have um, because it had to do with me becoming a parent. Um, and so, yeah, I've been an adjunct in higher ed for the last six years at various places. And um, then I do this finding your mantra thing 
in my spare time, which is awesome. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot going on. And we know the feeling. We we yeah. totally understand the whole side hustle thing, and we love it, and we really respect everything that you do. Um, so I kind of wanted to hear a little bit about how you balance um, your side work and your teaching and everything that you do, plus obviously your family, um, and what, what's been working for you. Um, so I, I like that <laughs> we can talk about it in a way of saying making work and life fit together, because I think that balance is kind of – a myth. And I think that it's just sort of another impossible standard that we as women try to live up to. Um, and it's going to sound a little bit like a broken record or extremely cliche to anyone who's looked into this kind of topic at all for herself. But my top strategies for making any semblance of balance work in my life is um, by asking for and being willing to receive help um, recognizing my strengths as a parent and playing to those strengths as often as possible and my strengths as a teacher and an employee. Um, and I truly believe in preparing rather than repairing, which is something I can get into later. Um, but in parenthood and life in general, but a lot of times in parenthood, um, problems are going to arise and the more prepared you are, the more you can handle those instances with some sort of grace and finesse instead of just letting the, you know, what hit the fan, <laughs> which can happen. <laughs> That's awesome. I like that idea of preparing instead of repairing. And it, it feels like, I mean, obviously you have, you know, started finding your mantra because you um, have thought hard about uh, these sorts of topics with regard to how to make work and life fit together. And mm -hmm. um, it's good to know that, you know, you found some practices that work for you and that you're open to receiving help and things of that nature that I think a lot of women struggle with. Um, but were there specific challenges that you faced in making your work and life fit together that inspired you to start finding your mantra? Or um, what was sort of the path or the journey that you took to sort of found uh, this, uh, this site and podcast. And uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about what your work is, that would be great too. Um, yeah. So I think a lot of my journey to starting this is a lot like yours, uh, because we talked for a while and when we were both starting these, um, these podcasts and our blogs about, you know, our personal investment in, you know, what we were hoping to share. And so the personal part for me was that I was looking for a way to use my teaching expertise in a new way um, because I just didn't feel challenged in that part of my life anymore. And I also have always had a kind of high level of spirituality in my life. And I felt really strongly about bringing that to my parenting. Um, so at the time when I started finding your mantra, my son was about nine months old and I was in a place that a lot of moms find themselves in where I felt very much like I was drowning and that I was losing a lot of my own identity by throwing myself into parenting. And it sort of just became, that's who I was. And I went to work and from this time to this time, I was that. And then I came home and every moment until I went back to work, I was mom. And I think a lot of, a lot of parents, but moms in general feel that way, um, Kind of anecdotally, I was in a lot of several group chats with moms and following all the mom pages out there and the same struggles and challenges kept coming up. A lot of them were around topics about work-life balance and not feeling supported or like you were in an actual partnership with your co-parent, um, feeling the burden of um, the whole home on you instead of it being shared. 
And there's a lot of research out there that shows that even when both parents work full time, more than half of the workload of keeping the home going and, you know, children, I was going to say students, <laughs> the children's, um, you know, schedules and appointments, all of that tends to fall on the mom still, even when she's also working 40 plus hours a week. Um, and even though far more women work outside the home than they did a generation ago or further back, we still carry that same home workload as they did. And it's just extremely draining and can even be, you know, very demoralizing and worse. Um, and so I was kind of drowning in that. And I'm very into meditation and centering practices and things like that. So out of necessity, I had to walk my dog every afternoon and it would also put my son to sleep. So I'd walk and walk and walk. And I just remember thinking to myself, what can I do? Like, how do I find myself again? How do I let, you know, me kind of come through in this whole mess of life that's going on right now? Um, and it kind of just all came to me one day. I was like, you need to start a blog. And a side note to that is kind of funny that when I was putting together my baby registry, I was on all the mom blogs, like what supplies do I need? And I vividly remember saying to myself, dear God, don't start a mom blog. <laughs> and then here I was 10 months later, like start a mom blog. <laughs> so it was like a really funny, you know, moment. Um, but, you know, I didn't want the traditional, like, here's what your diaper bag needs in it. I wanted, uh, here's what your, like, spiritual backpack needs in it to survive this mess. Um, and so that's that's where it all came from. I love that story. Um, I know Katina <laughs> probably heard all of that already. Um, I haven't talked to you as much about it. I, I'm very happy you shared that. Um, and I really love the name, like, Finding Your Mantra. I just think it's so <laughs> Thank clever. You. It's so great. So what is your mantra now that you, have you found yours? <laughs> um, so it's funny that you say that because if someone gets it, like they get the name, they get it. And then other people are like, what? <laughs> um, and that actually came to me. Um, I was driving home from my in-law's house and my son, the dog, my husband, everybody was asleep in the car and I was driving and I had a really good idea for a name and I immediately went home and Googled it. And, um, the name was Momovation, like motivation, because I was looking for like motivation to kind of change what was going on for me. And I Google it and there's this wildly popular blog under that name already. And then I had that woman on my podcast actually. So, and she's really cool. But anyway, I, I somehow, I don't even remember how Finding Your Mom came to me, but that's what I felt like I was doing. I was finding my way and that's what I helped people in my community do now. Um, but I think my mantra changes, um, and it has to, because your child changes and you change and your life situations change and evolve. So it does evolve, but um, mostly it's that I believe and I remind myself that I'm the mother my child, my soon-to-be children need. And remembering that allows me to take off all of these hats that I've tried to wear that just aren't me and don't fit my family. And they stress me out in a way that just isn't necessary. Um, it takes the pressure off of me to be the Pinterest activity mom or the mom with the super organized house. Um, I say to you from my bedroom with like three loads of laundry <laughs> um, <laughs> or the mom who cuts her lunches into the shape of like Sesame Street characters. Like that's just not, you know, sometimes it is, you know, but it's just when 
I allowed myself not to wear those hats and to just be who I am and figure out what I do well. Um, I became free to be this mom that I am now in the moment. Um, and that's a really major, you know, tenant of what Finding Your Mom Trust stands for. My mission is to help moms rediscover who they are, give themselves permission to be that woman, and to let go of the notion that there's a perfect version of a mom that they need to live up to. Um, and I think as women, we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to be a certain whatever. And as moms, I just think that pressure just gets even more insurmountable sometimes. So I don't want anyone to feel that because I felt that in the first year of my motherhood. Yeah, I think that that's really awesome and very freeing for people to understand that there are a lot of social roles that are ascribed for women, whether it's Mm -hmm. in the parenthood realm or in the employee realm or in the beauty realm um, Mm -hmm. that we're supposed to just have all of these ducks in a row. Everything's Mm -hmm. supposed to be sort of seamless and perfect. And like, oh, on top of it, you're supposed to like knit hats for everyone in your family (laughs) and like, you know, make your wrapping paper out of old paper towels that you Uh dyed or something. I don't know. So there's like a lot of, there's a lot of Pinterest. You're on (laughs) something. <laughs> on it. Um, but but yeah, I think that um that you're right that it's really freeing when people are able to take those hats off. And I think mm-hmm. that if employers could understand a little bit more about that, um, oh, yeah. it might make the workplace a better place. And something that we've been talking about a little bit is, you know, what responsibility do employers have um to help women to better manage their and take leadership roles and have kind of mm-hmm. conversations and dialogues at home, like what skill set do they need to actually set themselves up at home so that they can be successful at work, mm-hmm. which is not really a place that like employers have forwarded into. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, what is it about uh, making work and life more manageable for working moms or parents in general that you think employers should care about? What What's the um, positive outcome associated with that, do you think? Mm-hmm. I think that the fact that your platform exists and people listen to it and and you're also, you know, tying in other research and resources that are talking about worker well-being, that's just a testament to the fact that this conversation is happening and it's important to a lot of people. Um, And though I tend to focus my work on the home life, even though I'm a working mom, I definitely allude to that often. But I think that what I share is 100% transferable to the workplace. Um, As far as employers go, I think one of the biggest issues that they should be aware of and probably are, um, are just what I mentioned earlier, the plight of the working, the modern working mom. Um, The biggest issue is probably talking about burnout and more specifically emotional burnout where you know, someone just feels like the candle is burning at both ends for the foreseeable future with no end in sight. And that's how I felt when I started this. Um, And the symptoms of that actually can last up to 15 years and take that long to dissipate. Even when, you know, you have a (laughs) 15-year-old, they're pretty self-sufficient, but there's still so much you know, to be done for your home and supporting your children and new bigger problems with bigger kids. And so, you know, maybe that initial really being needed 24 hours a day goes away. But if you're continuing to carry the workload that you do throughout 
your entire entire motherhood, you know, that's really unsustainable. Um, the information that I found actually was done on a study of mothers in Australia, but there are dozens of other studies that support the same kind of information. Um, this particular study was done over three one-month intervals of time where they asked the mothers to check in using a self-evaluation of their mental state during the at the end of each of these intervals. And um, one of the things that they found is that if we don't address the causes of these burnout, we're setting up a huge percent of the workforce to be performing well below what they're capable of. Um, obviously, there's higher rates of absenteeism, there's lack of productivity, there's lack of fulfillment and engagement at work. And I know that a lot of your work has um, has centered around that and why that's important for employers to care whether or not their employees are engaged, <laughs> because ultimately that trickles down to your end product or your customer service or whatever it is that you're um your company or organization does, right? And one of the ways that these researchers suggest that employers support their employees is by giving them some amount of control over how their day or time is spent. Um, And in this way, the employee doesn't feel, feel as though their resources, and in this case, we're talking about their energy or their emotional and mental state, they don't feel like those resources are being depleted in a way that is completely out of their control. And that's kind of something that I realized on my own, that I needed to kind of take control of how my day was flowing and how my mental state was going instead of just, you know, what do they say? Dead fish go with the flow. (laughs) So (laughs) it was kind of like that, you know, and I think that you can get into that mode really easily because you just get swept up in all that's going on. Um, And so I think, of course, that's important for employers to be paying attention to. Um, You know, 50% of the workforce is women and a huge percent of them are mothers. They're going to need, you know, us to pay attention to this problem. Yeah. I think something that you said earlier about how, you know, employers should be aware or are aware of this issue. I actually don't think they are as aware as we like them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what you are saying about how much of the workload uh, at home the women are taking Mm -hmm. on and and all the research that you mentioned in terms of burnout and how long it takes for um, Mm -hmm. the, you know, the 15 years that you talked about. I mean, that's really interesting information. It's very important information. And I don't think it's getting out there as much Mm -hmm. as it should be. And I think there's a lot of leaders and organizations that aren't aware of these issues. And to that extent, I think everyone knows, yes, being a parent is challenging, but that's probably where it ends for a lot of people. So I think um, having these conversations is very, very critical so that we can spread that information because we know burnout is bad. Like you said, all those different Mm -hmm. topics that we talk about all the time on our podcast and on our site. are really important and they do impact productivity. And I mean, that study is basically saying the same message that we hear over and over and over again. And yet I don't think it's being addressed in the way that it should be. Mm -hmm. Um, So I do think it's really important that, you know, we, we have these continue to have these conversations. And I also really liked what you said about taking control of your day. I mean, that is a huge, huge help in terms of burnout is having autonomy, Mm -hmm. being able to, to have that flexibility um, and it seems like you've made that for yourself through mm-hmm. through everything you've done. I mean, um, I mean, tell me a little bit more, but you kind of went out on your own and are still teaching that, that there's a lot of flexibility there. Is that part of the reason why you went this path? 
It is. So last school year, I was an administrator full-time at a middle school, and that was not a path that I wanted to take anyway. Um, Like I said, my doctoral degree is in higher education, and I spent a long time trying to kind of fight my way up there. And the one institution where I was working every, I mean, you guys know you're involved in higher education as well. And same thing that's happening in K to 12 education. Every time someone retired or moved on, they were like, eh, we're not replacing that position. We're just going to spread that workload out among the people who are here. And so every time I'm like, yes, so-and-so's retiring, there's going to be an opening. They would not, you know, repost the position. And so I felt like, how can we justify paying for childcare if I'm only an adjunct? It doesn't really make sense. And I have no desire to be a stay-at-home mom, though I think that's a wonderful calling. It's just not for me. I definitely didn't go to college for like 11 years to stay home. (laughs) Um, It's just not my path and not something I wanted. Um, And so I got this job. Actually, (laughs) I, I applied for this position as an administrator. I interviewed for it at about four or five weeks postpartum. So I went to this interview trying to act like I had any brain power. Um, (laughs) and that I wasn't like, you know, desperate to get home to nurse my son, like, please finish this interview. So I don't like explode on your desk because this is, (laughs) it would be one for the record books, but, um, so, um, and I got the position. I started three weeks later. Um, my son was between eight and nine weeks old when I started, um, and because I had been an adjunct, I was actually out of work a month before he was due with no income because um, they wouldn't give me a contract for the following semester because I was due in the middle of the semester. And since I'm an adjunct, you know, I wasn't afforded any subs or any sort of leave. So it was yeah, just like- because hey, academic I'm... institutions take advantage of adjuncts in terrible ways. And that's what uh, yeah. we talk about for a long time. <laughs> yes. And, and that's sort of why- I carry a very like (laughs) prominent torch for this issue (laughs) with like a white knuckle grip because I just, I experienced a lot of things that I haven't talked about yet um, around my pregnancy and getting, um, getting hired when I was pregnant and then getting put out, you know, don't let the door hit you when I was pregnant. So um, it was the first time I realized, oh, wow, this is a real thing. Um, And this is a problem that my husband would never experience um, or any other man for that matter. And so that kind of got my wheels turning. So I started that job and the people I worked with were wonderful. The organization was really good. Um, They were awesome about supporting me as a nursing mother, which was great. Um, but it was just not where I wanted to be at all. And, um, I actually had been the fourth person in four years in the job. And, um, now the fifth person in five years is looking at quitting this year. (laughs) So it was a really, a really demanding job. And as a brand new parent, I was like, this is not sustainable at all. Um, so I went back to adjuncting and, um, that, you know, is not a decision that every family can make and we make it work because last year was just unsustainable for my mental health. Um, but yes, for us, that was a decision we were able to make and it has made a huge difference for me. Yeah. It seems like, um, you've learned so many lessons along the way and I appreciate that you're so honest about everything that you have been through, because I think especially with, 
um, you know, the way that we live in a social media driven culture with Instagram and Twitter and all these other outlets and Pinterest and whatnot, there's mm-hmm. this pressure to present this like perfectly seamless um, vision of yourself. And even <laughs> if you're, you know, presenting a, a, you know, vision that's not perfect, it's still sort of perfectly presented in a way that yeah. makes it seem like, oh, oops, like sometimes I make a mistake too. You know, like I, I cut Elmo's head off of my Sesame Street, <laughs> it's uncrusted peanut butter and jelly or whatever. Um, So I really appreciate that. And I think that you have a lot of uh, practical takeaways that you could probably share. Uh, Our audience doesn't hear this kind of content very frequently because Patricia and I are not moms. And so uh, we have uh, less experience or no experience in this area. So um, if you could share maybe some practical takeaways that um, you think working moms might use based on your research or your work, um, you know, I think our listeners would be really excited to hear just a couple of tips from you that you think would be helpful for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have three tips that um, I prepared to share. And I think that you'll probably agree that these are things that are transferable from, I mean, you have spouses, so you understand that. And I think um, these tips work in that relationship, in the parenting relationship and, and with your employer. Um, so the first one is to become informed and speak up. Um, know where your rights are, the law, um, and your company or organization's policy. And kind of like Patricia mentioned earlier, a lot of workplaces are kind of just continuing to go along, working under the same same status quo as they have been for years. Um, I do think we're in a time in history of transition. This conversation wouldn't even be happening if that weren't true. Um, but I do think that if you're a woman, especially in a leadership or a management position, you may be the first one who's a mother holding that role. And so there isn't a precedent already set at your organization or company that would tell you, oh, this is how this works. Um, And so informing yourself is really important. Um, Moms are really great at hiding when their needs aren't met and playing the martyr. (laughs) We'll Mm -hmm. say things ourselves like, oh, this is, you know, just the way it is. Um, I kind of have this cross to bear. I have to accept this burden um, because that's my lot in life and we don't speak up. Um, And I think women do that too. Um, But moms definitely are really good at at that role. Um, But the answer is always no, if you don't ask. So if there's something that you need or you think would make your life as an employee more productive or efficient or whatever you're trying to accomplish, there's really no harm in asking. I think you should arm yourself with um, backup and support for whatever kind of policy or change you're hoping to implement in your workplace. But in the time that we live in, uh, this change is most likely happening really rapidly somewhere in some industry. So I don't think it would be that hard to find some supporting, compelling evidence for whatever it is you're trying to ask for um, in order to provide the case to your manager to consider, you know, whatever change you're looking for. And I think, I don't know if it was a blog post or a podcast from you about uh, remote work. I think you were talking about, you know, here's how it's working and here are the positives for the employee and the employer and the outcomes. And take this with you if you think that working remotely might work for your position and you provided your listeners with that information. And it's the same same advice, basically. Um, But there's a lot of changes if you're in this conversation and paying attention to it out there, there are, there are lots of cases where you can find this 
kind of workplace institutional, um, you know, policies that have been in place for a long time are evolving. Um, my second piece of advice is to set healthy boundaries. And I'm not going to, you know, blow the like self-care horn all over the place because that's <laughs> another term that I feel like is a bit overused right now. Um, But we do know scientifically that you just can't burn the candle at both ends forever. It's just unsustainable. Um, In my community, I teach a three-step process that works in personal relationships and the workplace. And I'll share that right here with you. Um, The first step is identifying a value that's important to you. Uh, For example, in the work setting, you might say being creative. You know, maybe in your role, there's some level of creativity and that's a part of the role that you really enjoy. Uh, The second step is identifying uh, what you need in order to make that happen. So maybe it's less time spent in meetings or figuring out the time of day when you feel most creative and productive. For me, that's actually first thing in the morning, which isn't the case for everybody, but I found that out about myself. Um, And the last step is stating how you'll honor that value and need. And in this case, you might create a somewhat more strict schedule in order to make sure that that particular time of day is available to you. And I teach this three-step process so that you can clearly communicate the need, how it can happen and how you can be supported with it in a way that doesn't sound like, you know, the stereotypical way women are portrayed when they're asking for something, Um, you know, like a nag or... Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, you know, just other ugly ways that women are portrayed when they speak their needs. Um, and so I think that when you clearly line that, you know, set that out in that way, you're able to communicate and and effectively share a need that you have um, and have it met, more likely have it met. Um, and obviously not every workplace is going to be like that. I mean, I teach an 8 a.m. class, so I can say to yeah. my university, <laughs> you know, I'd much, I feel my creative energy is flowing at that time. I'd prefer not to. Yeah. Um, so, you know, within reason. But I think that, you know, referring back to balance, if you can have some other need met, you know, at home, it's sort of like a give and take. You're like, okay, <laughs> I get this. And then, okay, there's things we have to do because we're employees and, you know, we don't maybe have a say in that. But setting boundaries is huge and it's a piece that a lot of women are missing. Um, my final piece of <laughs> advice is around energy management. And I think you could Google time management and find, you know, 70,000 Google searches will return to you. Um on that, but energy management is something that I really believe in. Um, it may take a few days or weeks to figure out for you what time of day is your most energetic and in the flow. Um, you can figure it out by journaling or just opening your notes app and jotting down what you're doing or what you've accomplished at a certain time of day. And it'll become pretty apparent to you quickly. Oh yeah, this is when I feel really good. This is when I don't feel drained. And you'll identify that time of day for yourself. And when you figure this out, you're much more likely to schedule your day around this time and then decide what important tasks to take on at that time of day. Um, And I'd like to go back to something I mentioned earlier about preparing rather than repairing. Uh, I recently learned, and you may have talked about this as well, uh, that there's only so many decisions any one person can make in a day. Your brain just can only make 100 decisions and that's kind of it. Um, and your brain doesn't differentiate between a big decision and a mundane one. 
So the act of choosing what you're going to wear to work tomorrow or packing your kids lunch the night before, you already take that decision out of your bank of potential decisions for tomorrow and you kind of set yourself up for a better day inherently. Um, so if it's not an important decision, it's not a taxing one at the end of the day, when you're feeling the most drained, most likely, unless you find that you're a night owl and that's your energetic time, um, that would be a great time to make those little decisions. And then you start your day off with a few things on off your plate already. And this, you know, harkens back to women having the brunt of that kind of workload on their plate already. And a second piece to that, um, I think this is from Mark Twain, but I also recently learned that a lot of stuff is attributed to him and it's not actually his, but Um, we should have paid more attention in English class. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So apparently he said, eat a frog in the morning. And the idea is that you check something off your to-do list that you might really be dreading, or you just really not wanting to put any energy toward. Because after you've eaten the frog, nothing worse than that should happen for the rest of your day. Um, And so I feel like when you intentionally attack your day with these things in mind, um, there's just a lot more flow. You expend less energy or you expend your energy in a way that feels more natural to you. And you're left feeling much less depleted than if you lived like the dead fish going with the flow. Um, (laughs) And personally, I can attest to these strategies working major wonders for me as, you know, someone who works part-time out of the house, part-time on my own community, raising a toddler, trying to maintain a healthy relationship. I do not feel the level of depletion that I did early on as a parent. And I attribute a lot of that to learning these strategies. I think those are great, very concrete strategies. And you know, a lot of what you've said does tie into the research. Like you were just talking about the frog. We actually just had a, I think we had a podcast episode about something similar um, yeah. around doing, you know, the, the tasks you don't like first in the day, earlier in the day, mm-hmm. and that helps you um, and to conserve your energy so that when you're later yeah. on in the day, when most people are already tired of being at work, you can be doing something you like more. So there's yep. research definitely backing all of that up. Um, but I really like the idea of energy management. Like, uh, when yeah. you were talking about that, Katina and I were like sitting here nodding at each other. Um, yeah. <laughs> so you can't see it, but we're like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like you, there are times in the day where you do tend to have slumps and yeah. feel better, more energetic. So if, if you can figure out what your personal body rhythm is yeah I could see how that would make a huge impact and I definitely want to do that now because I feel like I know a little bit but I probably could get better at knowing when I'm gonna have my I want to go to sleep and take a nap moment so I don't schedule important meetings or recordings or whatever at that time exactly and that changed my life learning that and I wish I had known it as a doctoral student (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we do too. (laughs) Um, So all of the information that you shared has been awesome. Is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about your work or things that you uh, want to tell people that uh, you think they should remember as kind of some uh, concluding thoughts before we move into our final, what we believe is a fun question? (laughs) Oh, it's fun. I've been thinking about it for like two weeks whenever you send it to me. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
yeah, so you can find me at findingyourmomtra.com. I'm a sometimes blogger. I'm really bad at keeping up with that, but I love to talk. So my podcast comes out religiously every Monday. Um, and a concluding thought, I think that most of us, mostly women, mostly moms, um, are looking for someone to give us permission to just be who we are. And like I said, take off all those hats that don't feel right to us um, and stop kind of putting on the charade of, oh, I'm the Pinterest mom and I'm the this mom and that mom. Um, And I don't really think anyone outside of you can give you that permission, but you can go places and learn tools to help you figure that out for yourself. And I hope that Find Your Mantra is a place where moms, you know, find that permission and those tools and strategies just to be a happier and more present and, you know, better version of themselves. Because at the heart of it, we all, we really do put our kids first and we want to be the best we can be for them. And you can't be if you're allowing yourself to, you know, drown in that role. And so, you know, I think the work that you're doing is so important and all of this work around, you know, mindset and well-being is just, is so important for everybody, no matter what your role in life. Um, but especially for, for moms who are just, who have (laughs) a disproportionate amount of all of this work on their plates. Um, so yeah, that's my, my concluding thought. (laughs) I think you did build a really great community. Everything that we've seen you do is so inspiring. And, you know, as we said, we're not mothers, but, um, we find a lot of inspiration in what you talk about. Um, regardless. (laughs) And I think that what you, what you share is amazing. And I think that your community is amazing. So we're excited to see all the great things you have coming and we hope all of our listeners do too. And I am stealing the fun question because (laughs) you both went to high school together and I want both of your answers to this question. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to start with you, Karen, and then we'll ask Katina. But since you guys both went to high school together, what's your favorite high school memory and why? Okay. Well, first, I, I want to tell you, I, I feel exactly the same way about your platform. Um, I do think we very much mirror each other in the kinds of content we put out, but it's applicable in both places and really important work. Um, so thank you for what you're doing, too. Um, okay. So I thought of a Katina memory. And <laughs> you can believe this. It was 20 years ago, Katina. Wow. Right? That's sad. That's just sad. (laughs) Sorry. I did just tell our age, but it's really um, fine. And I'm going to tell something else that I don't know if you've ever shared on the podcast. Do people know what extracurricular activities you were involved in in high school? I don't think so. But we were involved in some of the same ones. A lot of the same ones, actually, the more I thought of it. Katina and I were on student council together, we were in glee club together. Yep. And the other one, I mean, I don't want to blow up your spot, but Katina was a cheerleader. Yeah, <laughs> I was too. She was too. Really? So all oh, three of awesome. us on this call. <laughs> and awesome. Karen, okay. fun fact, our yep. cheer uniforms were almost exactly the same because I also went to an all girls high school no. and the colors, what well, we cheered for the boys school and it was yellow and brown. Yeah. And ours is yellow and white. So very similar. So funny. <laughs> yeah, bright yellow bumblebee looking uniforms but my yes. one I don't know if it's my favorite memory it's just a really funny one that came to me as I contemplated this question over the last week or two um 
we went to cheer camp together going into freshman year, right? <laughs> yeah. It was, it was a cheer camp. And we weren't on the team yet. It was just sort of like, get to know your future classmates and, you know, learn a dance routine or whatever. And so we learned a dance routine and we had to like in groups of five, you know, kind of present it to each other and sort of cheer each other on. And do you remember this, Katina? No, I'm so excited to hear where this goes. <laughs> you, you forgot the routine. So you just stood there. <laughs> Amazing. I wish this was video because you stood there sidestepping like left to right rhythmically and rolling your arm like you were doing like wheels on the bus. Do you remember that? Yes. <laughs> now that like, you say it, I remember. <laughs> four other people around you were doing this intricate dance routine and you were just doing wheels on the bus to whatever. <laughs> to like, goddamn. Amazing. <laughs> But I have like a million other <laughs> Katina memories. That one just, I don't think I remembered it in 20 years. And it made me laugh so hard, like just picturing little Katina doing that. <laughs> I wish awesome. I could probably, see that. Probably with like inch thick bangs too. Yes. Oh my God. The Northeast Philly bangs were like a real cry for help. It was sad. <laughs> I have seen pictures. So, yeah. I can attest. Those were some intense bangs. Yeah. And everybody had them. It's not like it was like. Oh no random thing it was just everyone was weird together yeah yeah um we also used to because katina lived really close to high school and i lived super far away i think it was like the furthest student yeah <laughs> and i took two buses there two public transportation buses it was crazy um but because cheerleading practice wasn't until the evening i used to hang out like at katina's house or we yeah. just like stay at school and remember we used to nap up in like the choir yes. loft uh, in the choir loft and then also on those disgusting giant like javelin mats that people yes, yes. But, like no one ever like did javelin like who used no them? no no one did any sort of gymnastics on them no. we just them. <laughs> or, or we sat there during gym class and we're like I can it's my time of the month I'm gonna sit here yeah. and we would just sit there and <laughs> I was like it was just that every week and you didn't have to do gym. <laughs> I'm not playing dodgeball. Yeah. In my yes. skirt. I also refuse to get out of my uniform. So make me. <laughs> <laughs> well, my favorite, and I was thinking about this too, one of my favorites, and no one will ever know what it was. And I bet you will know what it was. But it was a joke that we had um, about. Oh, yeah. Uh, about <laughs> we can't. You shouldn't even say it. Are you going to say it? What? So pretty that. <laughs> so pretty. No, that that was a different one. Oh my god, I forgot about that one. Okay. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm on like I don't know a different planet right now. Sorry. <laughs> um, so uh, I was thinking about when we were seniors in high school and we were both like var on varsity cheerleading and like it was the year. It might have been junior. I don't remember if it was junior or senior year. What was the year that we won like a lot of competitions? Was that junior year? I think it might have been junior okay. year. Yeah. It was junior year, and we were just like really high on ourselves, like that we like <laughs> were winning all these competitions, and we just thought we were amazing, which like we were pretty good that year. We were just, good, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but we went to like one of those like dinky competitions that like it was like all the like all just the all girls schools that were like in our area, and we just yeah. totally knew that like we were gonna smoke them, yeah. and so. 
all the other girls were like practicing and all their teams were practicing on the prep mats and the coaches came over and asked us like if we wanted to prep and you and I were like no I think we're okay and then we were like you know what we could use though some hot dogs and they were like hot dogs and I was like yeah I think we're gonna we should ask our moms to go get us hot dogs so they went and bought us hot dogs from Wawa and came back and you and I just sat in the middle of the mats with like other people too, but we just ate hot dogs and stared at all the other girls practicing. <laughs> the other team a little bratty in that one. <laughs> Wait, the other teams were practicing, but not our team. But not our team. We were sitting and eating hot dogs from Wawa. Yes. And then, and then, and then we won the whole thing and everyone probably thought we were the worst people in America. <laughs> I do not remember that at all. Yes, I remembered. I remembered looking back on it. And I was like, "That is so funny." Like, I wish I could just go back in time and see like little Katina and Karen like sitting in the middle of the mats eating hot dogs. Man, like, hot yeah, dogs. we're gonna win this competition. We don't need to practice. We can dance on hot dogs. So serious. Yeah, I'm gonna eat a hot dog before I go do ten backflips. Um, yeah. Or lift. Yeah, actually, you, you and I. Say, I don't think I can yeah, do you it. You and I didn't do the hot dog now. <laughs> you and I didn't flip. We just lifted everybody. And yeah, neither of us is a very big person, but we were like beasts. No, I know. I always, everybody. I always tell everyone that I'm like, you like my job was like throwing girls butts and catching <laughs> people. And like, people are just like, what? Like, like, it doesn't make sense. And I'm like, yes, they tried me as a flyer once. I was horrendous. Like, they were like, she is, like, not light. She's not graceful. Like, let her throw a person. That's all we can do with her. Like, I don't think I knew that. You're so short. No, it made no sense. And Karen, you're not, like, really tall either. No. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're taller than me, but, like, I I like wish. I want to go back for five minutes in my life and to be the person who could lay on a mat and demand someone bring me hot dogs and then yeah. go dance. <laughs> because I can barely dance for three straight minutes without a hot dog in my stomach. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I agree. But anyway, I was thinking back on that. I thought it was fun and uh, I to highlight that. Um, but thank you so much for being on the show. This is so much fun. Um, and we could talk about high school memories probably for like, oh, yeah. I feel like we have, and we probably will in the future, but, um, mostly everyone won't understand any of the people we're talking about and yeah. maybe some of the people will listen and we don't want to talk about them. <laughs> Just Bro. kidding. We like, we like almost everybody. It's not like we're almost <laughs> keyword there. Almost. <laughs> well, thank you again, Karen. We really, really appreciate you joining us. It was fabulous. And we can't wait to talk to you again soon and see all the fun things that Finding Your Mantra is going to be coming out with. Thank you guys so much. It was really fun. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our interview with Karen. She's amazing. We hope you go find her on her website and her podcast at findingyourmantra.com. We'll have links in the show notes. Um, and you can also contact us, send us a note, let us know what you thought. Um, we'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at workerbeing.com. You can email us at workerbeing at gmail.com and find us on social media at workerbeing. Thank you. The Worker Being Podcast is hosted by us, Patricia Grabara and Katina Sawyer and produced by Allie Johnson. Oh.